Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey, everybody. I am so glad, you know, whenever you show up for this show. But today in particular, I have a, a colleague and friend I really want to introduce to you that I think is doing amazing work. Hey, Michelle Holloman, how are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thanks so much for having me. And I believe you're in the great state of North Carolina, aren't you? Are you not? I am. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. So tell people a little bit before we get started about your work and where it comes from and, you know, what you do down there in Charlotte. Sure. So I am a sex addictions therapist, and I specialize in addictions for substance abuse as well. And I work with teens all the way up through adults. And I started working with some preteens recently as well. So Michelle, did you just land on teens and porn, or did you start with adults? Or And we're gonna, I know we're going to get down to how to help parents with the issue, but I want to learn more about kind of how you ended up here. Well, I ended up here because my office is sort of near one of the biggest high schools in North Carolina. And I started getting calls from parents that their teenagers were in trouble at their school. They were getting caught for having pornography on their school-issued computers. That's sort of how it started. So what does happen, Michelle? I mean, I'm 17 years old. I'm a guy. I've downloaded some porn. I'm looking at it in the back of class, and it's not one of my schoolmates. Thank goodness. It's just something I downloaded. What happens to a kid in that situation? Well, it's not really a problem until it becomes a problem. And if you're using your school computer to watch pornography, that seems to be not such a great idea, especially if you're watching it in class. So it depends in different cases. Usually what happens is the kid gets called in first um, and is usually a guidance counselor, maybe present um, vice principals seem to be the disciplinarians at schools. So they usually ask the kid if they know why they're there. And luckily, they are usually pretty understanding. So they're not, they're not shaming kids. I think sometimes they are. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's very common that most adults, teachers, parents, principals, don't really understand what kids have access to and what they're actually doing on computers. So mm -hmm. I think they do shame them quite a bit. Um, the other side of that is, you know, the person who just says, well, this is normal and everything's fine and we shouldn't use, you know, be worried about it. Just don't do it mm -hmm. on your school computer, which is also concerning. 
Oh, so you're kind of saying there are helicopter parents who are on top of everything, and if they see one image, they're going to go after it. Other parents are just not paying attention, or they don't really even get what a ch- what kind of issues a kid could get into online like that. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, and the parents are called in, and then they start to find out how much is on the computer. And mm. that's where it becomes alarming. They go check the computers at their homes and their oh. phones and their gaming consoles. And then it becomes pretty apparent quickly that this has been going on for some time um, in most cases, or that the things that the kids are doing online are dangerous in some situations or mm. just really scary to parents. And then how, how do you get involved then? How do they, when do you get brought in? What seems to be happening is because I'm physically, my office is physically close to a high school and I've been speaking to principals and um, pastors and teachers and mom groups about this for about um, almost two years now. So somehow my name usually gets dropped and they contact me. Hey, by the way, word to the audience, if you're looking for an expert speaker on young adults or adolescents and young children on on their exposure to porn, I think Michelle Holloman can help you. Is that right, Michelle? You can talk about this. Yes, I do. I do a lot of public speaking um, in my area, and I would love to be able to help anybody else who wants to know more about this. So a kid comes to you recommended by the school, their parents find you, um, they see a flashing sign that says Michelle Holloman ahead. <laughs> what, what happens? So the first thing I do is I try to calm everybody down because, mm. you know, it, it, parents get very upset. I'm a parent of teenagers mm. and I would be upset too um, if something I didn't really understand or it what's happening, and it becomes pretty uh, chaotic. So they're in a state of crisis, Hmm. which is how most of my clients come in. Yes. Um, Yeah. No one comes in to me because they're a little depressed or anxious. So so they're in crisis, and I try to calm everybody down. And the first thing I do is I normalize the situation. So do you think that it's healthy? I mean, when you normalize something, usually make people more comfortable with it. And I don't think I'd want to make a teenager or their parents feel comfortable about their looking at porn. So are you saying you make it it look like there's nothing wrong with the child, that lots of kids end up here? Is that what you're saying? Yes. They're not alone in this situation. And this is a actually very common situation, more than I would say most people realize. Let's just mention that I've been to audiences of hundreds and hundreds of people, often therapists, as you know, and I ask the question, you know, how many of you have kids between the ages of 14 and 18? And they raise their hands. And I say, and how many of you think your kids are not looking at porn? Lower your hands and none of them do. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Tell me, Michelle, when a family's in crisis around this, you say you try to help them be less shameful, less angry at each other. How do you do all that? Well, it's really about talking to the parents about what's really going on and a lot of psychoeducation. The parents are usually blaming somebody else. Um, and that's where really the one of the major issues is, is they, they blame each other, they blame themselves. Ah. So I try to take that piece and say, this is common. You're not alone. Kids have access to it. They're very, very smart. They're usually smarter than we are as adults. 
And it's kind of exciting to look at, actually. I hear it's not too boring to look at a lot of porn, even when you're younger. In fact, especially when you're younger. Right. And the question that always is presented to me is, isn't this normal? Isn't it, aren't they just looking for answers? Is this something that all kids go through? And the answer is, unfortunately, sometimes. But we have to help kids understand what they're actually looking at and start to talk to them about it. Because when they go looking for answers, it means that we're not giving them what they're looking for as parents and educators. And that's the separation that happens. It's interesting you said that because I, I know one of the first things I like to talk to people about is the fact that porn is it's adult entertainment. It's called adult entertainment, meaning that it's really meant for adults and it's designed for adults. And a lot of it isn't really even true. You know, if you go to Star Wars and you see people battling with lightsabers, that's not really true. And some of the things we see in porn couldn't possibly be true. But I think you're right. If a kid doesn't have a chance to get information about this is what adults do, this is adults, what they don't do, this is, you know, th then they just don't know what to do with this information. Is that kind of what you're saying? It is. And unfortunately, what's happened is that um, the people who create pornography are now really good at making it more kid-friendly. What does that mean? Which is scary. Yeah. So there's this thing called Rule 34 that um, my, kid, my uh, clients taught me about that says anything that can be turned into porn will be turned into porn. So, you know, there are the cartoon that we watch, SpongeBob and Scooby-Doo and all these very benign characters, if you Google that, you could find it pretty easily. And it's also on YouTube. So how many parents are just allowing their kids to go on YouTube because it should be harmless? So you're really saying, Michelle, that porn is unavoidable. Like children are going to run into it. Maybe at a younger age, they might if they're educated, go to a parent and say, I don't know what to do with this. If they're older, they're just going to hide it. Um, isn't that just the way the world is? I mean, things have changed. Yes. And that's what parents uh, think and tend to believe. And I think some of that is part of their denial that, um, well, I couldn't have done anything to prevent this. So my job is to help them understand that there are ways we can teach our kids early on about pornography and the difference between pornography and healthy um, sex and healthy sexual behavior, which includes intimacy. Now, I understand and I agree with you because I think no one can really talk to a child about porn than a parent. I mean, there's no one better. And I also understand that parents would rather their kids' sex education happen in school or in a book they read than actually talking to them about it. Right. So you're having to broach a major issue, which is getting kids to talk to their, sorry, getting parents to talk to their kids about sex. Just that is a big hurdle to go over. Oh, it is. And what was really apparent for me when I started speaking with all these parents was that not only are parents not doing a great job of talking to their kids about sex, um, but they're not talking about most of sex. Mm -hmm. You know, they're talking about how babies get made. And that's not what the kids are asking usually. So when kids ask the question, whatever age they ask, there's always an age-appropriate answer to give them that that is very all-encompassing in a way. It can uh, really explain what sex is, not just how does the, just via the question, how did the baby get in there? Even at age three, we can do a better job of explaining how this works. 
So do you have, I, I know that you have, um, which people love, like seven things to do, or, you know, I love that stuff because it actually gives me direction. Did you develop this for families, this sort of uh, checklist? Um, I did. It's basically how to talk to your kids about the things that you don't want to talk to your kids about um, and how to do that. And one thing I've done in some groups, like mom groups, is I have them sit back to back and pretend they're talking to their child because, you know, it, it can be uncomfortable and you're embarrassed, your kid is embarrassed. That's normal and natural and perfectly okay. So yeah, I have... um a bunch of little kind of tips, if you will, on how to actually talk to your kids. And the first one is talk appropriately to your kids about uncomfortable things. There's nothing wrong with sex and there's nothing wrong with talking about sex and seeing something, you know, when your child may see something and they are likely to, saying something like, need you to talk to me about what you saw. And I really need to make sure you understand what you're seeing when you see this. And this is at any age, you're not talking about 16, I think you're talking a little younger. Younger. The average age a kid, kids are actually seeing porn now is around nine years old, the first time wow. they see it. And the biggest consumers of pornography are boys aged 12 to 17. Do you know if the exposure age is similar for girls? Um, I think so. And the mm -hmm. other part of this is parents um, thinking, well, I'll just lock down their phone with the appropriate software. And that helps. Of course, that's something that I recommend to parents. However, most people who talk to me about, well, I saw this, they see it from their friend's device. Mm -hmm. And they're doing it from you know, cousins or next door neighbors and people who there's nothing wrong with these kids. These are perfectly lovely children. Well, you say that because I know that if my child was shown porn by your 15-year-old, I would think there's something very, very disturbed about your 15-year-old. And that's kind of what you're fighting back against? Well, I think exposing a very young child, if you're a certain age, to pornography is definitely something we need to be aware of. But that's not really what's happening. It's a nine-year-old showing another nine-year-old. Hmm. Or my older brother. Or your older, yes, siblings, of course. Um, and the other part we aren't really addressing is that parents model behavior for their children all the time. So if you as a parent are watching this and mm. the kid happens to go on your history, your search history, um, on your computer, that's what they're finding. If kids find a lot of porn on their parents' computers, it's that much harder for them to say this isn't a good idea. I mean, I think you have to model healthy, like what you're watching around your kids. And kids are so much smarter than we are, but they know a lot more about <laughs> technology than we do. But Michelle, I want to I want to put a broader uh, tent over our conversation before we get back to your seven things to work on, because you know, I, I, you know, some people think porn is bad. Some people think porn is good. Some people think porn is always bad, always good. Some people think it's useful in certain situations, couples, single people. Some people think it's a horrible religious uh, thing to do. It's very spiritually unsound. Some people think it's a horrible thing to do with women and feminism. And so, you know, are we saying, let's just talk for us, are we saying porn is bad? No. Are we saying porn is good? No, we're saying it just is. There's no moral approach. That's actually my second tip. Ah. We don't take a moral approach when we talk to kids about pornography. We don't say pornography is wrong, bad, or evil. Mm -hmm. But we need to help 
kids understand what it actually is. Like adult entertainment. Right, that these are actors. These aren't people who actually love each other or have any intimacy. Um, Mm -hmm. That women don't look like this. They're not supposed to. That men don't look like this. And they learn things like, you know, every time you order a pizza, you're not going to have sex. That doesn't happen. And that the most important thing that I think is one thing that's happening a lot is something called rape culture. And this comes from, um, in pornography, there are scenes where women or men, somebody's held down and it's, you know, they're saying no, but the um, sex continues. And it kind of teaches our kids when they see this that, oh, well, no isn't really meaning no. Now, that's fascinating, Michelle, because I, you know, as a sexologist, I know, because I've really studied this, that rape fantasies in both men and women are not necessarily a bad thing. I might want right. to play with that idea. doesn't mean I really want someone to rape me. I might want to do a little fun in my bedroom with my spouse and, oh, I don't right. want it. And yes, I do. And But a kid is going to think this is real. Well, they don't really understand what they're watching. Context. They don't have context. The context, exactly. Um, they don't have the understanding that, you know, everything you watch on TV um, isn't real. And, and it's not real because some of the most popular pornography um, is the um, amateur. So these are real right, people. Right, right, right. It's not a set anymore. Let me say one thing before we go and continue, because I think this is really important for anyone who's listening, and it is for me. There are people who are 8, 9, 10, 6, 7 who are looking at porn, 11, 12. And it seems to me, and I'm really curious, do you think that, and we're not asking them to watch, they shouldn't be watching, they're way too young to watch, no one who's prepubescent should ever be exposed to porn as best we can do that. But I'm curious, do you see a difference or is there a difference when you're talking to a parent who has a prepubescent child? Is that different than talking to a a parent of a 16-year-old, let's say? Well, of course. And that's where the the parents questioning about, I mean, isn't this what all boys do? Isn't this part of, you know, growing up? Is this kind of behavior? And my answer to that is usually No. Right. It's it's really not. I help them remember what it was like kind of back in the day. And I'm able to really relate. I kind of model this and say, you know, remember when we were, you know, the, most of the parents around my age. And I say, remember Michelle, when- Michelle, we yes. played spin the bottle. I'm we sorry. did. We <laughs> played closet, spin the bottle. Closet. Right. But we also had, you know, X-rated bookstores and mm-hmm. the back room of a video stores. And we did find like the dirty magazines under mattresses or- mm-hmm. But the most important thing is that we found out all that other good stuff about sex from our friends, like in the locker room or in the bathroom. Sure. It was, it was common discussion. It's couldn't wait to talk about right. that stuff. Exactly. All that foreplay stuff um, and sex stuff. But here's the difference. Our kids are watching it happen. They aren't talking to other kids about it in a way that they even understand. They're just watching it. Now that I'm thinking about it, a kid sitting alone, watching image after image, hour after hour, they're having a completely different experience of what we experience is almost a social learning growth kind of thing. Exactly. And now it's isolating. It's kids sneaking around. They're alone in their computer. If they do share it with their friends, that's 
probably the only social part. But mm-hmm. again, they're watching people actually give and receive oral sex. They're not learning about it. So it's, it's a very different experience than what I had growing up. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love, and Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com. That's seekingintegrity.com. Or call us at 747-234-4325. And, you know, you've talked about parents who say, well, boys do this. You know, it's kind of part of our culture. What's the big deal? They have a 14-year-old looking at a lot of porn. But what about the parents who say, oh, my God, this is not my child. This is never the, not my kid. And, and like you said, are pointing fingers everywhere, but at their own kids saying, why did you do that? You know, what's so interesting is I kind of just give them the facts. And it really helps um, nail down. I have a slide in a presentation I do that says, before you say, not my kid. And when I give a presentation, I usually ask about 10 kids to stand up if they're in the audience. And I explain to them that between the ages of 8 and 16, 90% of children have seen porn. Mm. By that age, 90%. So if you think not my kid, um, you're probably wrong. So Michelle, I have to go back to the younger kids. I want to hear your seven list of seven because I know we all want it. But what I'm really disturbed by as a therapist, as a professional, as a, as a human being is a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, an 11-year-old. When those kids at that age are looking at such explicit content, there is a difference in their brain development, in their relationship development, in their sexual development than a kid who's 15, 16, 17. I know we don't want our kids looking at porn, period, and certainly not to any excess, no matter what their age. But I worry so much more about a young child. Do you think that's accurate? I mean, would you say that is something to be concerned about? Absolutely. There have been studies about how pornography actually changes the brain. And there's a great um, slide that I have that shows a brain that's normal, a brain that's on heroin, and a brain that is of a porn, someone with a porn addiction. And the pornography addicted brain looks actually worse than the one on heroin. It really changes our children's brains. I compare their young kids' brains to a can of um, brand new Play-Doh. And that until they're about the age of 25, the neuroplasticity is great because you can, you know, take little pieces of the Play-Doh and roll it in a ball and stick it back in, no problem. And then after that, we're, you know, kind of on this other end with the three-day-old Play-Doh. But I tell them that's why you and I can't learn a language as easily. It's why we teach children to do things so young. And I explain the neuroscience around that. And that really helps them understand exactly what's happening to their children's brains, um, which is super concerning. Now, you have seven things that you've written up, and I know that you're going to teach this this when you teach. Can you just give us a quick overview? I know you started in number one. Can you repeat that? And let's keep going. Sure. So the first one was talk appropriately to your kids about uncomfortable things. There's nothing wrong with sex or talking about sex. And then the second one is start 
early, earlier than you think you should, and always tell the truth. So again, instead of taking a moral approach to pornography being wrong, bad, or evil, we need to help kids understand what they're actually watching. And another point I make is that when we're talking to our kids about porn, inevitably they will ask, well, did you ever see it? Mm-hmm. So this is where telling the truth comes in. And I think it's okay to say, yeah, I did. And when I saw it, you know, maybe I felt a little icky mm-hmm. or I was scared or I didn't really understand. Or I wanted to see it more. <laughs> or I wanted to see it more. Uh-huh. And ask them, how did it make you feel when you saw it? And have that conversation with them. I know a lot of parents, that is not a conversation they're going to have with their kids. No. They're going to say, because they're not capable of that conversation. They don't even have sexual conversations in their marriages. So turning to their child and talking about sex when they don't even talk about it themselves seems like a big leap. It's a huge leap. But this is where talking about this stuff becomes so important because if you're going to say to your kid, no, I've never seen it, they know you're lying. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not a moral issue, hopefully, but it's okay to explain how, you know, it used to be. So kind of explaining how things have changed helps the kid understand that it's okay to, I don't want to say make a mistake, but it's, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. They're not bad. So I would say, why would you want me to talk to my kid about porn when they're already looking at it? Won't my talking to them just encourage them? That's the other thing. If we talk about it, aren't they going to do it? Well, no, because just like sex, we know that supplying condoms and birth control pills does not encourage kids to have sex. It actually provides them with great education and great boundaries around it when they understand consequences and what it actually is about. So Michelle, since I keep interrupting you, and I'm so sorry, because what you have to say is is really important, I think. Let's start at the beginning and go through those seven steps for families and parents to look at when, uh, if and when a child is run into porn. Okay. So the first one is talk appropriately to your kids about uncomfortable things. There's nothing wrong with sex or talking about it. The second one is start early. Start earlier than you think you should and tell the truth. And next is use real words. Nothing is more frustrating to me as a parent or as a therapist when kids come in using words like shoo-shoo and he-she, he-she and (laughs) dilly. Yeah, I don't know what that is. And they're trying to talk to me about something. And I say, please just use the real words. Use penis, mm-hmm. vagina, breasts. It's normal. These are actual real words, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's like saying hand or finger or feet. Absolutely. Next is don't shame mm. in case you find it not to freak out on your kid, take a breath, and talk to somebody. Well, you can freak out all you want, but if you take that to your child, it will affect them deeply. Right. Don't, don't freak out with your kid present right. or on them. Freak out privately. But don't shame means... You know, porn is supposed to arouse. And so it does. if and it does. So it did its job. If your child comes and says this happened and they were aroused, that's normal. That's what it's supposed to do. And mm-hmm. remember that your kid is looking for something. So provide it to them. What do you mean? What are they looking for? Information. A lot of times they're looking for information. 
You know, I've heard a lot of young girls say that they, you know, a lot of young girls can get involved with porn by because they're looking to see what adult women look like, what do adult women wear, what is sex like for an adult woman, and then they start getting aroused and then they start looking at a lot of porn. Right. It happens. It's not just boys, of course. It's little girls, too. Right. And, you know, they're looking for who knows what they're looking for. Maybe they're looking to see what a penis actually looks like or a vagina, or they want to know if they're normal. Mm -hmm. You know, if they appear normal. And sometimes we don't see that in pornography. So what is the next number? Number four or five? Um, I think we're on number five. So don't punish or scold. Ooh, I don't know about that. I'm not giving my kid that phone back or free time in the room for the next six months after what they just did. What's wrong with that? Well, if you punish or scold them, you have to remember that they didn't really do anything exactly wrong. If my kid is doing something that they know isn't good and that I would not like, and they went and did it anyway a lot, why wouldn't I want to punish them? Well, because punishing them for doing something like this sends a message that, again, they're bad or they did something really bad. Now, mm -hmm. you can punish and scold them for using your computer, using the school's computer. Breaking the rules. Breaking the rules, but the actual looking at porn is usually what parents go to as the mistake. And the mistake was in how they were watching it or where or when, but it's not in the actual what they were watching. But I can think of so many parents who would say, look, the mistake was ever picking it up, ever looking at it, ever opening that window and ever thinking that would be good for you. Right. I mean, most parents, I would say that is the mistake, but you're saying it isn't. Well, I don't think that telling a kid, again, that porn is bad, evil or immoral for them makes them want to watch it any less. I think it actually creates a taboo. But it may make them feel like what arouses me is a problem. What, exactly. What, what, the fact that I'm sexual. So they may reflect the shaming or the finger wagging as a whole reflection of their sexuality because it, it it's so arousing and, and riveting for them. Right. Because usually, um, not usually, but often they're not watching what we think of or may think of as, quote, normal sex. They may have been watching something Bizarre. that we'd never even, yeah, that they, we didn't even know existed. And if they connected to that in some way, whatever it is, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with that or there's anything wrong with them. It's not about, again, the actual pornography being the problem. The problem is that kids break the rules on how they're watching it. I tend to want to think about this like alcohol, you know, like alcohol yes. is really not supposed to be consumed by people under 18 It's or 21. It's problematic for some people, not for most. Um, encountering alcohol at a younger age is going to be more problematic. The younger you start, the more likely it is there'll be problems later in life. So this sounds a lot like that. Is that how you think about it? That is. And that's also how I explain it to parents, that this is a brain thing. Well, wait a minute. I don't, okay, I'm still struggling with this and I don't want to struggle with it, but I am because I think my child, and I'm playing devil's advocate here. Yes, of my course. My child has done something wrong and they've done something against my morals, my principles in my home with the computer I gave them. And how can you say that I shouldn't restrict 
they're not going to the dance tonight. They're going to not get the car this weekend. They're not going to get those chocolate chip cookies because they're doing something wrong in my house that they know is wrong. I, I can only imagine. I mean, I feel that way. And I don't, I'm just not even my kid is looking at porn. So how do you avoid that? Because I understand you don't want that reaction. It's okay to place restrictions and boundaries on what they're doing. And it's okay to say, well, you know, you can't have your phone for a period of time. But at the end of the day, they're eventually going to get that phone back. And the way kids communicate today, especially in this COVID situation we're in, that's their lifeline. That's how they're staying social. So taking that away and removing that is kind of not a great idea. However, it's more than punishing. Mm-hmm. it is more than punishing. And it, it can be very cruel because now you've cut your child off from FaceTiming with friends. And how am I supposed to go to school when we were doing school online? Uh, let's go on with your with the numbers. So we're number six, I think. Okay. So here we are at number six. So I have something here that says be sex positive. And again, what that means is not shaming any part of what they were watching, meaning that sex and masturbation are normal, healthy parts of being a human being. And the problem with pornography is it takes the intimacy and connection that makes sex healthy away. And it tells false stories, fake stories. Yes. And I always tell parents, this seems to kind of really help. You know, remember when your child asked about how did that baby get in there or how are babies made? Usually we start off with something like, well, when, when a person loves another person so much, mommy and daddy love each other, but that doesn't happen in pornography. There's no intimacy. There's no connection. It's just the doorbell rang. I ordered a pizza and then we started having sex on the table and it, it's very, it happens all the time. So it's very important that, you know, we try to be sex positive um, and not again, shame. I think what you're saying is you may see bodies and they're attractive. That's normal. You may be seeing people who are being sexual and that interests you. That's healthy. So not shaming them for feeling interested in the things they saw because that would be shaming their sexuality. That's what you're saying. Exactly. And what's number seven? Ask for help and for support. As a parent, ask for help. I mean, there are things that I'm embarrassed or find it hard to talk about you know, saying maybe we should find somebody to help us have this conversation. And that's really important because no one talks to us when we become parents about how do I do this? There are no rules. No one, we're just doing the best we can. And I encourage the people who they go to for help, if they don't have the answers, to find help for themselves, which is why I go do all these talks in um, different places to help pastors and priests and rabbis learn how when their parishioners come to them and, you know, the parents are saying, this happened. They know now how to manage the situation when someone's in crisis. It's a little easier. I know some parents who would always feel that it's a moral transgression for their child to be looking at something like this. And it is very personal for them. And it's very personal for their relationship with their children. And I think if they're listening to us today, they might think, well, that's a bunch of permissive urban therapists who don't understand the reality of children where I live or where I come from. And you're in North Carolina. (laughs) Well, this is why I think it's so important for religious leaders to understand their 
what's actually, what kids are actually doing. You know, most of the kids who become my clients are straight A students. They go to church. They come from absolutely lovely families. They're wonderful. They're usually in a youth group of some sort. They're smart. They're athletes. These are really good kids. So you're, wait a minute. So that's interesting because when I think of the kid who's looking at porn a lot, I think of the kid who's doing drugs and not a part of the team and sort of is a kind of a sidelined with friends. And you're saying that perfectly healthy kids who have nothing going on with them negative at all are looking at porn too. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. It's just regular, happy kids. Michelle, I love talking to you and I think we could talk for hours and hours. In fact, I know we can. How can people reach you if they want you to do an online lecture for them or you want to advise a family or, you know, that kind of thing? Or if someone's in North Carolina, they can certainly come see you. How can people reach you and what is the best way to learn more about you and your work? Well, I am on lifehealingcounseling.com. That's my practice. And I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm reachable by email, michellecharlottetherapy at gmail.com. And I am relaunching my website very soon. I'm very excited about. And on there are going to be tons of resources, books to help parents talk to their kids about sex and pornography. There are some books that are even a junior version of a regular book for ages three to six. So there are fantastic resources out there. And I want to make those more available. Thank you for that. And Michelle, thank you for working with this population. You're not just working with kids. You're working with kids and their parents, and you're working with kids and their parents about one of the most disturbing issues that they can run into. So I really admire you. Well, thanks. I think that I'm a the daughter of a baby boomer, of baby boomers. So I'm Gen X. And I think that I really had to learn on my own um, and as becoming a therapist what this world looks like. And having teenagers myself and young kids, I had to learn very quickly what they were getting into and how to protect them and how to keep them safe online. I also learned that, yeah, this is something that I didn't talk to them about. and um, But now I do. And I'm the most embarrassing mother on the street, I'm sure. Folks, this is Michelle Holloman from North Carolina, a therapist who has learned how to work with kids and their families that deal with porn. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Michelle, for doing it. Thank you for having me. Talk to you guys soon. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective, intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.